Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Is Francisco Lindor overvalued? When should you draft Adalberto Mondesi this season? Welcome into our 2021 shortstop preview here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank Stample, joined as always by Scott White and Chris Towers. Shortstop is everything second base isn't, especially on the high end. We see three shortstops going in the first round based on ADP, nine of them going in the first 50 picks. What's going on, Scott? What do you think of the shortstop position this season? I think I think this is one of those insider baseball disputes that is worth breaking out right now because <clears throat> we just did second base, right? Why did we not go second base third base why do we go second base shortstop i always go second base i always go second base third base yes because when you number the infield positions third base is three shortstop i mean sorry third base is five (laughs) shortstop is six Mm -hmm. and we should continue to go in numerical order but whatever whatever shortstop yeah so shortstop is the most star-studded position in fantasy right now It, it 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 uh populates the early rounds and you should be able to get somebody really good there. But when it runs out of really good players, it drops off a cliff and that may not happen in your league at all. It, it you playing a 10 team league with no middle infield spot to fill plenty of short, plenty of great shortstops to go around. Not something you need to worry about, but if you play in anything deeper than that, it may become an issue, even in even in like a 12-team head-to-head league. So, you know, just nine starting hitters, no mid, extra middle infield spot to fill. Um, you know, I, I went in, into it assuming, okay, there are 13 shortstops that I think are really good starters in this format. But there are so many that are so good that two of them ended up being drafted as a utility player. And I had to settle for D.D. Gregorius as my starter. And that is not what you want to happen at shortstop. That is the name of the game. Don't let D.D. Gregorius or somebody worse than that be your starter. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, just going back to the shortstop in order numerically, I typically do go to third base as well. But I will say that last year, Adam Azer... Went from no, second it's base. Adam's fault. That's shortstop. Yeah, yeah. That's where you messed up, Frank. There's <laughs> Following- a reason he's not on the show anymore. Ooh. Frank's Frank's saying <laughs> is the buck the buck stops somewhere over there. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm just following uh, in my mentor's footsteps, of course. Adam Azer, uh, speaking of the shortstop position, um, you mentioned how awesome it is up top, Scott. 
Chris, I'll throw this one your way. Would you ever avoid shortstop early and target a shallower position like first or second base instead, knowing that you can get a stronger, a strong shortstop later on in the draft? For example, you know, would you rather have LeMahieu in the third and Carlos Correa in the 10th or Corey Seager in the third and Mike Moustakis in the 10th? Or does that not matter at all? I don't think it matters too much. And I think the, the thing you have to keep in mind there is that Carlos Correa is kind of on an island when it comes to his ADP. He's at 126.5. Tommy Edmond is the next shortstop eligible player at 139.5. Well, uh, that's a pretty steep drop off, in my opinion, especially, you know, obviously I know Carlos Correa has been a, a pretty big disappointment. It was especially disappointing because he actually stayed healthy in 2020 and wasn't any good, but. Um, I think Carlos Correa is like the, if you're waiting for shortstop, he's the guy everyone's going to target. And so it's great if you end up with Carlos Correa and I'll even throw Dansby Swanson in there because he's going outside of top, the top 100. But yeah, when we say this is a deep position, it's worth clarifying that it's like shallow deep <laughs> or deep shallow. It's in my opinion, a top 13 that really stands out above the rest of the position. And once you get to Carlos Correa, who I would imagine is right in that range for most of us, if not all of us, um, things drop off really quickly. It's like Dansby Swanson, Carlos Correa. And then I think there's a big drop yeah, off. And yeah. so, yeah, that's, 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 that's where the 13 is. Um, and so, you can't so really Swanson go is Swanson ahead of Correa and ADP. Yeah. Right around uh, 20 picks, wow. 18 picks. Yeah, and and I, I think the thing is you can't really wait at shortstop because uh, 10 of them, I guess nine of them, go in the first 40 picks on average. And so if you don't take one of your first three picks with a shortstop, all of a sudden you've got four guys left who you can really feel confident as a starter. And I think that's stretching it just a little bit with Correa given the, the injury track record. Yeah, so you guys answered my question. I think there's a very clear top 13, the question I was about to ask, rather. Um, you know, which, what would you feel safe with as your, as your starting shortstop? And it seems like, based on ADP, there is a very clear top 13, uh, which ends with right around Dansby Swanson or Correa. In a points league, that's probably only top 12, because I don't know that you want Adalberto Mondesi in that format, and we will have a lot of Adalberto Mondesi here today on the podcast. But let's jump into ADP. Uh, and talk about some of these players that are going up top. And of course, Fernando Tatis, which is the bell of the ball. We're all excited about Fernando Tatis, what he did last year. Guy was just absolutely ridiculous. We have three shortstops going in the first round. Uh, Tatis with an ADP of 3.0, according to Fantasy Pros. Just finishes the fourth overall player in Roto. He averaged 4.1 fantasy points per game last season. That made him the seventh best hitter in that format, uh, legitimate five-category contributor here for Fernando Tatis. He's played 143 career games since the start of 2019. In that stretch, a 301 batting average, 39 home runs, 111 runs scored, 98 RBI, 27 steals. So the guy is just absolutely ridiculous. I don't know that anyone's going to dispute that. Scott, how early would you take Tatis in both formats? First in Roto, and then how early would you take him in head-to-head points? So I'm I'm starting to waver on how high I have Mike Trout in Roto because I initially had him second, just like last year. I'm I'm starting to feel a little too much on an island with that, and I'm not totally comfortable with it. I understand the need to fill the steals category early in that format, and can't expect Trout to help much with that. So, um, I would 
I would definitely take Acuna and Betts over Tatis. Better, you know, longer standing track record for both of them than for Tatis. But, you know, Tatis is in that same range. So third or fourth, depending, depending on where I ultimately slot in Trout. It would be lower in a points league when you're not having to sell out for steals so hard. You don't need to sell out for steals at all in a points league, obviously. But, you know, base stealers are still valuable. Um, so, you know, I have Acuna further down in, in a points league and I have Tatis further down. I have him behind all three of the big three pitchers, Cole, Bieber, DeGrom, as well as Betts, as well as Trout. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where. I'd have to pull in my rankings. But I think like... I think I have Tatis maybe ninth in a in a head-to-head points league. So still a first rounder, but you know, steals are obviously a big part of his appeal. Yeah, I think there's a consensus top three hitters, at least for me, in Roto, and that includes Ronald Acuna, Mookie Betts, and Fernando Tatis in that mix. Some people would still include Trout. Juan Soto, I've seen go as early as the first overall pick in some uh, Roto drafts. So there's an argument for that in a points league. Yeah. Um, yeah, points league, I have Soto ahead as well. So uh, Tatis officially checks an eighth in my points league's rankings behind the three pitchers, Trout, Betts, uh, and Soto. Yeah. And, and I, I have Tatis eighth overall in head-to-head points as well. Uh, Chris, any concern over the September for Fernando Tatis? As great as he was last year, he improved his plate discipline tremendously. The, the strikeouts were way down from 29%. Uh, to 23% in 2020, but we did see him hit just 208 with a 714 OPS in September. Any concern there for Tatis? No, not really. I, I think Fernando Tatis is, you know, we've only got 130-something games, 143 games, but uh, what he's done so far in the majors is pretty unimpeachable, especially given the gains he made in both strikeout rate and quality of contact in 2020 that really backed up uh, that he really is an elite hitter already. Um I do think it's worth asking whether he deserves to stand alone quite as much as he does at the position. Um, seemingly in most people's rankings and in the you know average draft position where he's you know clearly five spots ahead of or almost six spots ahead of Trey Turner on average. No, I think it's a good question. And, and let's talk about Trey Turner, who is going at ADP 8.8, so a little bit later in the first round. Might go a little bit later than that in a points league, although I'm not sure that he should. He's really good in that format as well. But uh, for me, I guess the biggest difference between Tatis and Turner is I think that there's like 30-30 upside for Tatis. I don't know if Trey Turner could get there, although the batting average uh, might actually be better for Trey Turner. So based on last season, Turner actually finished ahead of Tatis in both formats. In uh, He was second overall in Roto. He was tied for the fifth best hitter in head-to-head points leagues. He has developed into a five-category stud. You know, we kind of wondered if the power would come along the way that it has for Trey Turner, but 12 homers and 12 steals last season. Oddly enough, he was on pace for 30 home runs and 30 steals over the course of 150 games. And mind you, he didn't steal his first game until the 20, uh, his first base until the 20th game of the season. You remember the the first three weeks or so, everyone was freaking out. No steals for Trey Turner. So he is someone that can get hot in a hurry. Um, so Scott, uh, what is the earliest that you would be willing to take Trey Turner in either format? So... In Roto, I have him... It's not updating fast enough. Okay, in Roto, I have him eighth. That has him behind two of the pitchers, Bieber and DeGrom. I have Cole, 
going a little later. I, I could un I could see taking him over either Bieber or Degrom if you were more uh, if you were more concerned with getting steals early than a high end arm early. I don't think I would do that personally, but uh, I I could see it. I, I think it's justifiable in a points league. I have him thirteenth, so out of the first round, and. A couple of hitters I have ahead of him in points leagues that I don't row to are Freddie Freeman and, and Jose Ramirez. And the reason for that is because I'm not... Like, you, you talked about how how Turner ended up stealing a lot of bases in a short amount of time. Like, it wasn't it wasn't an even distribution over the course of the 60-game the schedule. And, and home runs work the same way. And I think, I think assuming Trey Turner is a guy who could... We expect to hit twenty-five to thirty home runs now over a full season. I think that's, I think that's making too much of the small sample because there weren't, there weren't clear enough skill changes underlying that to make me think he's made some kind of adjustment or something. I think he just got really hot at the plate, and you know he's still never had a twenty homer season in his career. Granted, a lot of injuries have gotten in the way of him doing that, but. The 253 ISO he had last year is just such an outlier for his career, and um, I'm not ready to elevate him uh, to assume he's some kind of like great power hitter now. Again, that is Trey Turner. He had a 253 ISO in 2020, a 200 ISO in 2019. Um, yeah, I would say he's probably safer for you know if I'm just projecting him 20 to 25 home runs. But I will say, in terms of average home run distance, he was better than Mookie Betts, Anthony Rendon, and Luke Voigt. So maybe there is some uh, some untapped power potential there with Trey Turner. Uh, Chris, your thoughts on Turner and any concerns um, that he might run less if the power is legit? I think it's a little bit of a concern. I mean, we saw it a little bit last year. I think that was his uh, lowest stolen base pace of his career by a fairly wide margin. He's been on pace or topped 40 in every season before last year. And last year, he would have just barely made it to 30 with uh, you know, only four caught stealing. So it's not like it was like he was 12 for 8 or something, um, or 12 for 20. Um, that being said, I, I think there's a legitimate case to be made that Trey Turner could be the number one player. I mean, he was the number one hitter last season. Um, and among good hitters, I think he is. And I, I think I say good hitters to ensure that we're not including uh, Alberto Mondesi in this discussion. <laughs> he is the surest bet for 30, 30 stolen bases. Yeah. And he's the only one, I think, who has a chance at 40 stolen bases. I don't know, maybe Luis Robert, uh, if the White Sox really change their game plan, although I think it's an open question whether he's a good hitter yet. Um, I are don't you, think... Are you, are you including Acuna and Tatis? You don't think they have a chance I for 40 stolen bases? I don't think... Tatis does, and I, I think Acuna has slowed down enough in his pace over the last uh, season or so that I wouldn't quite put him there. Because um, 2019 was the year yeah, he was 37. 37. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he didn't really even come close last year, and last year was kind of a weird season for him. Uh, the strikeout rate went way up, but I, I think at the very least, Trey Turner has the best chance of 40 stolen bases and is the most sure thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's probably. I mean, probably outside of Mondesi. Um, yeah, 
Trey Turner. If VR is, got 650 is, plate appearances, that's the only. Is, is there anyone just regardless of where you're drafting them outside of Mondesi who's a safer bet for a big steals total than Turner? I mean, Jonathan VR is not going to have the playing time. Starling Marte doesn't run like that anymore. Right. Airfield doesn't run like that anymore. No, I, I think it's basically Trey Turner and Mondesi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why these guys are going as early as they are. Of course, Trey Turner is is expected to have a much better batting average than Mondesi, who we'll get to in just a little bit. Trevor Story, the ADP, is at 11.5. He sneaks into the first round just behind Jose Ramirez and Christian Yelich. For Story, he's finished between 8 and 14th overall in Roto in each of the past three seasons. He's averaged between 3.5 and 3.7 fantasy points per game in points leagues during that span. Uh, and Trevor's story is awesome. Uh, he's actually started running a little bit more, which is fantastic for Roto. But yeah. I will just bring up two risk factors for him. The possibility of him being traded because he's entering a contract year. I have no idea what the Rockies are going to do. There's a chance that they trade him away and they start to rebuild. They've already done so with Arenado. Um, for story, a 760 OPS on the road in his career. And fun fact, but over his last 162 games, he only has 85 RBI. So, I mean, no Nolan Arenado in the lineup. I don't I don't know that that's going to help. It just, you know, it makes the lineup context worse. So um, your, your thoughts on, on those two risk factors, Scott? Well, he only had 85 RBI for the entire 2019 season. He had 111 runs scored, I'm, I'm assuming. I, I, I guess, does he normally bat second? Yep. Uh, normally bats mm-hmm. high in the lineup, so it's just you get kind of that Chris Bryant effect. Remember how he always had so many more runs than RBI, even in his best years. Um, yeah, I, I worry a little bit about, you know, they've already pulled the plug on Arenado. I worry a little bit about Story getting traded. Uh, it sounds like right now they're hoping to sign him to a long-term deal, so that doesn't appear to be in the plans, but those plans could change quickly, and then... Uh, we would, I think, story is someone we would wonder about outside of Coors Field if he would be quite the same hitter. Uh, but he's certainly, he's certainly smoothed out the rough edges over his time in Colorado. Because remember when he first came up, he was striking out way too much. He looked like a batting average liability. Then he he broke out with those twenty seven steals. Oh, is he really a base stealer? Yeah, he clearly is. I mean, he's in Colorado, five category guy. Um, maybe a little disappointing in the RBI category, but still five category guy and obvious first rounder. Um, really outside of that, that minor possibility he's traded, not many concerns for Trevor story. The 34% strikeout rate in 2017 has been below 27% each of the past three years. So you're right about that, Scott. Uh, he certainly has righted the ship in terms of plate discipline. Again, that is Trevor story. Two more shortstops. Going in round two, Francisco Lindor at ADP 16 and Bo Bichette right at the 2-3 turn. He's going at an ADP of 23.8. Of course, Francisco Lindor was traded to the Mets earlier in the offseason, which is a negative park shift, but it is a positive lineup change. Cleveland was 27th in Team OPS last year. The Mets were third best in the league. So uh, I think whatever he misses out in the park shift, he should gain with the lineup context now with the Mets. Uh, Lindor is coming off a down year. And did you know that he finishes the sixth best player in Roto in 2018, but has not finished higher than 25th overall in any other season he has played? So Chris, does that make Francisco Lindor overvalued in the second round? 
Uh, no, because, you know, in 2019, he almost certainly would have gotten there if he had played more than 143 games, I would guess. Um, yeah, I mean, he had 32 homers, 22, yeah, 22 steals, steals, 284 batting average. And he's been really consistent throughout his career. Last year was a bit of a down season, but, you know, I, I made a point of saying down season, not down year, because it was 60 games. And and really, we're we're talking about the kind of thing where if he had hit, 10 home runs instead of eight in those 60 games and stolen eight bases instead of six. We're not even talking about it. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, his batting average was slightly down, but there was no sign of skills decline whatsoever with Francisco Lindor. And so I, I think he's about as safe as you can get at, uh, you know, outside of the, the truly elite tier. And if anything, I think he's probably a bit safer than, the truly elite guys, you know, some of the truly elite guys, at least like Ronald Acuna with the strikeout rate and Fernando Tatis just with, you know, a relatively small sample size. I, I think Francisco Lindor is, has less variance in his game. He's about as sure a thing you can get in the second round. And, uh, you know, just a really nice player if you go with a pitcher in the first round to, to get you started in all five categories. Bobachet mm-hmm. is an interesting one. And we spoke about him a little bit, Scott, on our overvalued, undervalued ADP podcast uh, early last week. But uh, the ADP is very high here for Bobachet at the 2 3 turn. And I think the prudent move is to avoid him at this price because it almost feels like you're drafting him at his ceiling. But I just, yeah, I continue to think that he has just this massive. Maybe not exactly Tatis type upside, but maybe like one tick below Tatis, where we're talking about him as a 300 plus batting average, 30 homers, 15 to 18 steals, something like that. And, and the the lineup just continues to get better in Toronto, so it's it's a big price tag, but it's it's really tough for me to call him a bust. Yeah, no, I wouldn't call him a bust either, unless you force me to pick a bust at this position, and we'll get to that later. But um, <laughs> the thing to remember about Bo Bichette is he's played 75 games. Feels like he's been in our lives a lot more than that, but 75 games, less than half a full season. He's at 307, 16 home runs, 8 steals in those 75 games. So you assume he plays 150 games in a 162-game season. You know, that translates to 32 homers, 16 steals, 307 batting average. Obviously, really good. Obviously, deserving of a second-round pick. That's, a, that's, that's presuming a lot. Normally, normally, if a player puts up those kind of numbers in a 75-game season, we're not just giving him the benefit of the doubt. I think, like, he's, he's actually benefiting here from, uh, you know, just just the timing of how those 75 games fell and you know just to just to kind of broaden this idea out further you know of those 75 games 29 came last year the first 14 were amazing and then he missed time with a hamstring injury came back pretty awful in the final 15 games so you know it's it, you're you're splitting up a 60 game season into even more little pieces and that's not really valuable, but it just kind of goes to show you that uh, the whole sample is so small that like, maybe we just haven't seen a real cold spell spell from Bo Bichette yet. And uh, we don't exactly know what that's going to look like. So I, I almost wouldn't mind him in the second round, except that it's shortstop. And there are so many great alternatives who are more proven. You got Xander Bogarts, who is like 
95% what Bo Bichette's best case scenario is. And he's going seven picks later on average. Like, I, I think just given the track record, I'd rather have Bogart straight up, much less at some kind of discount. Um, and then Corey Seager as well. I mean, Corey Seager's going 17 picks later. He's not going to give you that modest number of steals that Bo Bichette will, but I think just as a pure hitter, he's better than Bo Bichette. So those are two guys that I just rank straight up ahead of Bichette, much less, uh, much less when you can get them for cheaper. And one other thing I'd add on Bo Bichette that you know makes it a little harder to buy in at this price is he could be this, you know, true five category stud. Some we're talking about as a first round pick for the next, you know, most of the next decade. He doesn't necessarily have the Fernando Tatis tools. You know, he he's not like a 95th percentile physical skills guy. He's really good. Um, but he's like 70th percentile in sprint speed. And he has a max exit velo of 109 miles an hour so far in the majors, which is okay. It's certainly not elite. Um, and his average exit velocity is below 90 miles per hour uh, over the course of the you know two limited seasons we've seen. And so it, it all comes out to he's probably going to have to be a better than the the sum is better than the parts or whatever this saying the is. is better than the sum of the parts. Yeah, the whole is better than the sum <laughs> of the parts kind of guy. He, he's like a B plus everywhere, but, you know, with... Uh, you know, B plus tools across the board and excellent makeup and work ethic and all that stuff. He can maximize everything that he gets in a, in a way that uh, can make him better. But I just, yeah, it's, it's just a really, really lofty price for a guy who's probably played a little over his head so far too. I'm having flashbacks because I remember, Chris, you said the same thing about Javier Baez last year. You tried to talk me down from the ledge. You said, <laughs> Javier Baez, you know, he's, he's well, really good across the board, but he's not great anywhere. He's a he's B plus. Javier Baez does have like 70 grade raw power. Yeah. You know, and he's an elite athlete in a way that I just don't think Boba Shek quite is. I think you said this about Vlad Jr. this year so far, but if I'm just drafting in one fantasy baseball league, I'm not going to take Boba Shet at his cost. But the fact that I'm just a madman and I'll draft in like 15 plus leagues, I will try to have <laughs> at least one Boba Shet just just on that chance that he is awesome this season. We move into the third and fourth rounds in ADP. We have four shortstops going 13 picks apart. Adalberto Mondesi, this is fun, at pick 27, Xander Bogarts at 30. Corey Seager at pick 40 and Tim Anderson at pick 47. We have to have the Adalberto Mondesi conversation. No player, I believe, sees a bigger drop in Roto to head-to-head points than Mondesi. He's not going to walk very much. He's going to strike out quite a bit. And a lot of his value, specifically in Roto, comes from his ability to steal bases. With that being said, I think he probably is, no, he definitely is the number one contributor in that category as long as he can stay healthy. He is the number one contributor uh, for the steals category. Uh, it was yep. a tale of two seasons last year for uh, Mondesi's first 37 games. He hit just 179, zero home runs, three steals. His final 22 games, he won a lot of people championships. 376 batting average, six home runs, 16 steals. And I will remind people that he had shoulder surgery last offseason, and maybe that explains why he got off to the slow start that he did. So, Scott, at ADP 27 for Mondesi, would you target him there in a Roto League? And who else do you need to have on your team 
to feel comfortable drafting him. Because I think if you compare him with like Mike Trout or Juan Soto, I love it. And, and you know, you take Trout or Soto in the first, you take a starting pitcher in the second, you get Mondesi in the third. I love it. I love that. So what do you think? Yeah, that's that's fine. I I probably am only taking Mondesi if I don't get any steals in round one or two. And just like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to take care of this in one fell swoop take Mondesi and not really have to think about steals again because that's that's how much of an, an outlier he is in that category. Um, he was... So the number two in steals last year, which I think was Jonathan VR actually, was only two-thirds of the way to what Mondesi had, 24 steals. And I think there were only like four other players who were even halfway to what Mondesi had. So like he is somebody who can carry you in the category, uh, which is... Extremely valuable, if only because you you don't ever ha- you're never going to be in a position where you have to reach for steals for the rest of the draft. Like that's the one category where I feel like you might be inclined to reach if you don't take care of it early enough. And Mondesi is just gonna make it so that never has to happen. I do think 27 is a little higher than I'd go. I mean, I'm being kind of nitpicky here because that's early third round in a 12 team league. I think late third round is where I'd start looking at Mondesi. Um, because, you know, obviously you can only count that, like the steals are the only thing you can count on. I'm not ruling out the possibility he can be pretty good in other things. Like every time I'm tempted to write him off as a hitter, he goes and has a, a month like he did in September that just gets, just gets the, the wheels turning in the head again. Like what? What could happen? Like, if this guy could be somebody who hits 265 with 25 homers, just what kind of fantasy asset are we talking about? But I don't think you can count on that. I think you can count on him keeping his job. I think you can count on him running like crazy, better than anyone else in the game. And I think for that specific format, given the scarcity of steals, it's worth it. It's worth it to take him there. Tools for days, man. I I mean, the guy is going to swing and miss a lot. It's going to cause a lot of volatility in his batting average, but... Actually, you know, for a shortstop, 90.6 mile per hour average exit velocity, that's pretty damn good. He hits the ball hard. Uh, so I do think, again, massive, massive upside for Mondesi. But if you're trying to draft for, uh, you know, you want to be uh, complete throughout your team, you want to have balance, you have to have a plan, whether it's taking batting average in the first round or, you know, right after you get Mondesi, uh, you, you, you got to have that plan in place. Uh, between Bogarts at 30, Seeger at pick 40, Tim Anderson at pick 47. Chris, which value do you like most, and will you actually target this group? Yeah, I'm fine with any of this group, including uh, Mondesi. He's, you know, like Scott said, he's such an outlier in that one category that it makes up for, you know, I think him being potentially one of the worst everyday hitters in baseball. (laughs) Um, But I I think I like Bogart's best out of that group. Um, and it kind of feels like he goes a little later than that. Usually when we draft, um, and I just think he's a little underappreciated cause he's not, he doesn't necessarily have like the one standout skill, uh, in fantasy, like all five categories, he's going to be good to very good, but he doesn't have the you know, 60 stolen base potential or even really, you know, much more than maybe 10 or 12 stolen base potential. He's, you know, hasn't hit more than better than 309 since 2015. And so you don't have, uh, you know, like a 
Corey Seager, can he win a batting title kind of conversation? He doesn't have, you know, the the exit velocity numbers that stand out. He's just super, super steady and has absolutely zero weaknesses in his game. And so, I think this Red Sox lineup is going to be a lot better in 2021 than it was in 2020. So I think those run and RBI numbers are going to go back up, you know, towards 100 each, if not north of that. But what are we making of the eight stolen bases in eight attempts last year? He had a combined, Bogarts had a combined 12 steals combined the previous two years. He has had a 15 steal season in the past, but those eight steals uh, obviously jump out as something, I mean, we've never seen him run at that rate before. And I, my take is it's just a fluke. It's just a small sample fluke, but I, I don't know. Do you feel any differently? I am not particularly confident in the eight seals that we saw from Bogarts last year. Uh, you know, worth reminding people that Alex Cora was not the manager for the Red Sox last season, and now he has returned. So I would probably look at anything Bogarts did while Alex Cora was there as more indicative for what we should expect this season, but I think like 10 to 12 steals. He's he's not a zero, but I, I wouldn't expect anything like 15 to 20. If he was he's pretty faster. close to a zero the previous two years, though, is the thing. It was like, eight in 2019 or 2018. It was 2019 yeah. that was the real... Because like eight... Four. Yeah. yeah, eight is kind of in that ballpark where like you could see 12, you know, and <laughs> without like, you don't have to stretch it too far to get there, but four, obviously. Right. But he's faster it, than I think you probably think he's been in the 70th percentile in average or, uh, in sprint speed, according to Statcast, in each of the last three seasons. So, um, 12 five, wouldn't shock me. Five of those, this is kind of fun with sample size. Five of those eight steals last year came in his final 12 games. It, it always, it always goes one way. It, it, it feels like it can go one way or the other when you're talking about a guy in a lost season like that for his team where, you know, mm-hmm. Whit Merrifield in 2019 just stopped running in the second half of the season. And it was like, well, was this the result of his team being out of it? Or is this a, a new thing for him? And at Bogarts, it could have just been, well, there's nothing at stake. The rest of the lineup stinks. Let's see what we can do. Uh, Scott, we had this question on our Facebook group from Matthew Peterson. He asked uh, why Seeger wasn't the player you loved for Valentine's Day. So... I know oh, that I thought you, about it. I know you love him. So in 30 seconds or less, I'll let, I'll let you tell the people why you do. I thought about it, Art, and I thought about him for the player I've always loved, too, because I do love Corey Seager. I think he is a first-round caliber bat. I, I'm totally buying into the breakthrough last year. Uh, he carried it over into the postseason. He was that guy in the postseason where every time he came up, you just knew, you just knew it was going to be a problem, and it was. Um yeah, his his expected stats last year looked like something you'd see from Mike Trout. Uh, he just improved in in every way a hitter can to this elite profile that I'm totally buying into. So I'm I'm sorry he's not going to run much. I guess uh, from shortstop especially, you'd prefer if he did. But 40th overall, like I like I I really don't think it would be surprising at this time next year as if. Corey Seager is just like an obvious first rounder. And we look back and say, man, how was he lasting to the fourth round last year? That's crazy. The comp I made last season was Freddie Freeman when his breakout came. It was his age 25 or 26 season uh, where he took the step forward from. Yeah, it was his age 26 season. He took the step forward from 
He's pretty good, but we know who he is. He doesn't hit for much power. He's a great batting average guy, lots of runs. And, and then he turned into one of the best pitters in baseball. And Freddie Freeman yeah. and Corey Seager have basically the same listed height, same listed weight. They're the very similar sizes. I think Corey Seager, actually athletically, they're probably pretty similar. Corey Seager is just one of those shortstops who plays the position better than his athleticism would make you think. Um, I think there's a decent chance he's just Freddie Freeman moving forward. And he's just an elite four category guy who, uh, you know, won't be a zero in steals, kind of like Freddie Freeman has been. I, I think I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure that's there, but it seems like a pretty likely outcome. As long as Corey Seager can stay healthy, he does have an extensive sure. injury history. Uh, but entering a contract year, we have seen players manage to stay healthy miraculously when they're in a contract year. Uh, and for me, I would actually take Tim Anderson in Roto among this group. I, I think he's a tremendous value in Tim Anderson. the four, like the late fourth, early fifth round range. His ADP is 47. His 331 batting average since the start of 2019 is second behind only DJ LeMahieu. I think as long as Anderson's healthy, he's a pretty safe lock for... 20 home I, runs, I, 15 to 20 steals. I think he can become like a 25-25 player. I think it's possible. I think uh, he has the yeah. physical tools to be a 35 steal guy. And it's just the White Sox not letting their guys run. Yep. I will point out, he's only had one 20 steal season so far. So yes, I mean, the White Sox haven't let him run as much as he can. Maybe Tony LaRusso La will change that. I'm not really counting on it. I think people yeah. always presume more steals on Tim Anderson than he actually delivers. I will also point out, Kind of like with Javier Baez, this the elite outcome for Tim Anderson is dependent on an extremely high Babbitt. He's done it two years in a row now, 383 Babbitt this past year, 399 the year before. But that's, I think he's capable of doing it again. I do. I just think that it's unrealistic to expect him to do that year after year. And maybe the year you buy into him is the year he falls flat. And I'll go ahead and say, I don't think he's going to hit anywhere close to what he's done the last couple of seasons. I, I think a 325 or 330 batting average, like it's unrealistic and un, unfair to expect that from him. But even with those high batting or BABIPs, the XBA the last two seasons has been 296 and 293. I think he's yeah. a legitimate batting average contributor. I just, you know, I don't think sure. he's going to win a, a second batting title. Very well said, Chris. I was going to say, uh, I'm not expecting him to hit 330, but. 290 plus, I think, is is a very reasonable expectation for one Tim Anderson. You mentioned Javier Baez, so let's drop down a few rounds to the sixth and the seventh round. Uh, Glaber Torres being drafted at pick 70, Javi Baez at pick 73. And just a heads up that on CBS, Glaber Torres only has shortstop eligibility for this year on CBS. You needed to play 10 games at a position in 2020 to have the eligibility for 2021. Glaber Torres did not play 10 games at second base last year. So I think he has it on Yahoo. So that definitely would help Glaber Torres' value, but he will not have that on CBS. I, I do think Glaber and Javier Baez are two very talented players. I also think they're kind of confusing because each had an excuse last year. Glaber, he hit the IL. He was dealing with some leg injuries. Apparently he didn't show up to summer camp in the best shape. Um, Pandemic pounds, you know, whatever. It happens to all of us, right? Uh, Javier Baez had a 599 OPS last year. That was third worst among qualified hitters. He blamed a lot of his struggles on not having in-game video. Of course, it has been confirmed that they will have in-game video for this season. So I think that there is downside to each. Scott, um, which one do you like more between Glaber and Javier Baez? And do you actually like their values here going in the 
what is this, the end of the sixth, early seventh round? Well, I think it's impossible for me to take one of them here knowing that Carlos Correa is going to be out there 40 to 50 picks later. It's the that, same because, as Jose Altuve and Cattell Marte. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I tier them all the same. So it's just a matter like, it's not like I'm especially down on Torres and Baez versus Correa. I think they're all like, they're just all very obvious bounce back candidates. We kind of saw Carlos Correa bounce back in the postseason, actually hit more home runs in the postseason six than he had during the regular season five. Um, so, it's just, I don't understand why he goes so much later. Uh, he's the only one of these three who we used to consider a first-round pick in fantasy. He's still only 26. I'm kind of just tossing 2020 out for all of them because they're so they're, they're still so in their prime that it just doesn't make sense for them to collapse the way they do. If you're forcing me to pick between Baez and Torres, uh, because that's the question you asked, you know... Baez is going later and he might contribute some steals. So I guess I would rather take him. Uh, you know, it would be different if Torres still had second base eligibility or if I hoped he, if I had some hope he would regain second base eligibility. Uh, but since it looks like he's exclusively a shortstop now, I would probably just a straight up ranking. I think I'd go Baez, then Torres, then Correa. But the difference in cost is just not not worth paying up for the first two there. And this is a year of firsts for me because I typically do not draft Giancarlo Stanton or Gary Sanchez, but they're going much later this year than they ever have before. And the same thing with Carlos Correa. I've never drafted him. I always thought he was injury prone and not worth the risk of versus the reward that you could potentially get from him. But now that he's going almost at pick 130, another guy entering a contract year who has dealt with injuries might find a way to miraculously stay healthy. Massive postseason. I like Correa at this volume, uh, at this value. So I'm definitely going to have a lot of shares here. Uh, Chris, I'll throw this one your way, and I'll lump Dansby Swanson in the mix as well. So uh, Dansby Swanson with an ADP of 109. He's going about 20 picks ahead of Correa. So again, that's Glaber at pick 70, Javier Baez at 73, Dansby Swanson at 109, who just finished as a top 50 player in Roto last year, and Carlos Correa at 127. What do you think of this group? And who is your favorite? I think Correa is probably my favorite in terms of value. I think what's happening with Correa is you're seeing he stayed healthy in 2020, but he didn't hit well. He actually only missed two games. I, I, it's only 60 games, obviously. Before last season, we were saying, hey, Carlos Correa can stay healthy for two months. He's done it before. <laughs> um, but so, But the thing is, he's not getting credit for staying healthy in 2020, but he is being, you know, debited for the bad hitting season that he had in 2020, which doesn't quite make sense. You can't give the guy credit. You can't not give the guy credit for staying healthy and penalize him for what happened when he did play. You know, like it just, it seems like a kind of double counting the injury uh, and the fact that he didn't hit all that well and the fact that he hit well in the postseason makes me think that it was just a bad two months and there's nothing really to worry about. And so yep. Correa, like I don't see him getting back to being a borderline first rounder. I think he would have to have a, a Corey Seager-esque jump, but these are all the things we were saying about Corey Seager last year. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's being drafted a little bit ahead of Seager, but not that far. And unlike Seager, 
you know, Correa, Seager was coming off two surgeries in 2019. Uh, Correa has had a lot of injuries, but it's been, you know, some kind of unrelated stuff. I think there was like a back and rib injury that were right around the mm-hmm. same time that, that are a little concerning. But, you yeah. know, for the most part, it does seem like there's been a bit of bad luck there. You know, obviously, I, I was actually I was actually lower on Correa this time last year because I was afraid the back issues would be chronic. So him getting through the three months counting the postseason that he did uh, without a flare up, I think, is very encouraging. And by the way, like you could argue Correa, the the biggest Correa's biggest problem last year is that the se- his season ended a month too early. Because yeah. if you do combine the regular season postseason stats, it comes out to a 282 batting average, 11 home runs, 807 OPS for half the season's work. I mean, uh, I, I think we would take that from a shortstop. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, clearly clearly being undervalued here. I, I think, like, I was treating it like, okay, you know, if, if I don't get a stud shortstop, if I don't happen to have the first-round pick that lands me Tatis Turner story or I don't, don't get Seager in the middle of round four like I want to get him, then I will get one of Torres, Baez, and Correa, and Dansby Swanson will be my fallback if that yeah. doesn't work out. Yeah. And, and I so do want to point out for Swanson, you know, his 2020 season, his 150 game pace, 274 average, 25 homers, 124 runs, 80, 124 runs, 87 RBI, uh, 12 steals. That's better than what we had seen from him in the previous two seasons. But before his heel injury in 2019, which, you know, really slowed his season, basically you know, shut his season down in terms of him being like a must-start fantasy option, which happened in July. He was on pace for 28 homers and 12 steals. There's a chance that Dansby Swanson is just what we expect Javier Baez to be, but going 30 picks later. And he doesn't have, you know, a crystal clear bill of health himself, but uh, I think Dansby Swanson's a fine value this season as well. I love it. I love Swanson as well. Correa, I have dubbed him... This year's Corey Seager, maybe not the same type of upside, but we have seen Correa have elite seasons in the past, a 900 OPS or better in two of his last four seasons. And this time last year, Corey Seager's ADP, 140. Correa's ADP this year, 127. So I do see some similarities, at least in the price from Seager last year versus Correa this year. Just want to quickly remind everyone that we... Thank you for joining us live so far tonight on YouTube and Twitch. We'll be here whenever we record a podcast. More often than not, that's going to be around 10 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights, at least in February and March. We're going five days a week, obviously. Uh, But make sure to subscribe on YouTube and follow us on Twitch to get alerts whenever we do go live. And I want to let everyone know that our CBS Fantasy Baseball Commissioner product has launched. The product is built for everybody, regardless of league type, dynasty, keeper, salary cap leagues, AL only, NL only. We have it all fully customizable. Create your own stat categories and adjust scoring by position. It features a deep player pool, including minor leaguers. And there's even a feature to add your own player. There's franchise building, uh, detailed player contracts, custom keeper rules, and trading future draft picks for those in deeper dynasty formats. But of course, uh, you know, the biggest endorsement, and I've said this before, I'll say it again. I have played my keeper league there for the past decade. Scott has ran his dynasty league on there for, you know, close to the past decade as well. Uh, We actually do use this product and um, not just saying it, I think it it truly is the best and, and it's what I've used for the past decade. So I really am uh, endorsing the product here. If you have any questions regarding 
any of the tools or anything, you can hit us up on Twitter or email us at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. If you're watching on video, don't go anywhere. If you're listening on the podcast, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, sleepers, breakouts, and busts here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's make this a, a little bit quicker because <laughs> we, we spoke a lot about some of those early round options. Scott, get us started with a sleeper here at shortstop. Sleeper, I'm going to go with um, Jorge Polanco of the Twins. And this is a hard position to find sleepers, breakouts, and busts because it's kind of the big 13 and everybody else. Uh, but Jorge Polanco was somebody I considered a must-start player in a standard mixed league heading into last season. He didn't live up to it. But the underlying numbers still looked really strong, like still a great line drive rate, still a low strikeout rate, still somebody who projects for a high batting average and with enough power that you could, uh, you know, he obviously didn't provide the power last year, but he was on an upward trajectory before that hit 22 home runs in 2019. And I think, um, you know, in a deeper league or it's like a middle infield spot, or if you just want to draft him and stash him for the first week till he picks up second base eligibility, he has an even clearer chance of mattering, an even easier chance of mattering at that position. So I'm going to go with Jorge Polanco as my sleeper. Jorge Polanco, the ADP, according to Fantasy Pros, 227.5. Andrelton Simmons has signed with the Minnesota Twins. He will start at shortstop, which means, again, Polanco will... Start at second base, as Scott mentioned, and we'll get that eligibility early in the season. Chris, a sleeper at shortstop. Young Kim, who is uh, the Padres' potential starting second baseman, uh, signed from the Korean baseball organization. He's only 25 years old, so he's younger than we usually see from the uh, Korean or Japanese uh, leagues because he didn't go through uh, you know his whole career like you often see. Um 
And what he's done throughout his Korean career has been hit for about 20 home runs every season, 30 in his last season, uh, usually 20 plus steals and, you know, great plate discipline, you know, more walks than strikeouts last season, uh, 300 average each of the last two seasons. I don't think he's going to do all that in the majors. And there are real concerns about how much he's going to be able to play on a Padres team that does still have Jake Cronenworth, re-sign Jerickson Profar. There is a lot of uh, utility-type players on that team. But it's possible he plays every day at second base, or at least mostly every day. And they've also talked about playing him at, I believe, third base. He's a shortstop naturally and in the outfield. Um, It's the kind of thing where I think if he plays, he's going to play. And, um, you know, the profile makes him a potential uh, must-start option in a Roto League if he does get something close to everyday plate appearances. It's it's a little risky. And, you know, I think the projection systems mostly uh, agree that if he was to get, say, 600 plate appearances, you're probably looking at 18 homers and 15-ish steals with, uh, you know, hopefully the, the plate discipline can stay pretty good in the translation and I think that's a pretty valuable player again that is Haseon Kim with an ADP of 168.5 Kim and Jake Cronenworth are basically going back to back it's fascinating because those two are basically competition for each other in terms of playing time for the Padres so whoever performs well in the spring maybe gets the opportunity to play better heading into the season so something to pay attention to again that is Haseon Kim with the San Diego Padres Uh, I have two sleepers they're not Overly exciting, but maybe some guys that can provide some late round steals going outside the top 250 in ADP. And that is Willie Castro, expected to start at shortstop for the Tigers, and Isaiah Kiner Falefa, who will start for the Texas Rangers. I've got, I mean, the hat, right? I have to choose a Texas Ranger. We already know that. Uh, Willie Castro last year, though, really interesting 349 batting average, six home runs in 36 games. Statcast liked him, 299 expected batting average. He has put up double-digit steal and home run seasons in the minors, so he has a bit of a power-speed combination. And Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, not very exciting, but he had eight steals last year, and I think there's a chance that he can get 20-plus steals and, and will hit near the top of the Rangers lineup. So, And he's catcher-eligible on Yahoo. Yeah, which is <laughs> crazy. We have to talk about this eventually, probably once we get past position previews, but I've heard Yahoo is using eligibility from 2019. Yep. So that is just... Mind-blowing. Uh, Scott, a breakout at short, at the shortstop position. Okay, so this is probably more of a sleeper too, but I'm going to shoehorn him in here as the breakout. If you'll allow it, I'm going to go with Wander Franco of the mm. Tampa Bay Rays, who is the 334th player off the board on average. And I remember time not too long ago when the top prospect in baseball, if we thought he had a path to getting called up pretty early in the season would get drafted pretty early, at least the middle rounds, you know, 334th. He's not getting drafted at all in standard mixed leagues. And this was a guy, Wander Franco, who was traveling with the team in the world series last year in case they needed to activate him for whatever reason. Like he's right there on the verge of being promoted. I would expect he's up before the end of May. Um, And like, He's free in a standard mix league. He's free to draft and stash away the top prospect in baseball with an amazing hit tool, more walks than strikeouts his last minor league season. And, um, you know, all the upside you'd expect from the number one overall prospect to potentially come in and make a big impact right away. 
you know, shallower leagues with few roster spots. Maybe you can't afford to stash a guy for several weeks, but I think most people out there listening can and might want to consider it for Wander Franco. Mm, the end of May, maybe early June, Wander Franco, who actually had himself a World Series jersey last year. I thought there was a yeah. chance that they were going to call him up. So he's getting close. I think undoubtedly we will see Franco, assuming he's healthy. I know he dealt with some stuff in the offseason. I think it was like a bicep injury or something. But um, assuming he's healthy and, and he's doing well in the minors, we should see him in 2021. Chris, a breakout, a shortstop. Uh, Carlos Correa and Dansby Swanson. And it's mostly just, I, I think they'll both stay healthy and, and do what they've threatened to do in the past in smaller sample sizes. And, you know, given the fact that they're set to drop off at the position after them, I think making sure you get one of the top 13 and if not one of the top, you know, if you don't get one of the top 11, make sure you get one of those two guys. Um, you know, we, we talked about them enough, but I, they're, they're my breakout picks for the position. They're the guys I think we'll be drafting in that top six round range next year. I'm with you on Carlos Correa. I had him as my breakout. We've seen him break out in the past, but still just 26 years old. I think he's being disrespected with an ADP of 127 right now. Again, that is Carlos Correa. Scott, you're bust at shortstop. All right, I don't, I don't want to do it because this is one of those things. Don't do it. You're making me pick a bust. Don't do it. Fall, I really I'll don't want a grenade. Don't I'll fall on the call, grenade for you. I don't want to call Bo Bichette a bust because then, you know, he's probably going to have a great season and everybody's going to be like, oh, Scott, you called him a best. You didn't believe him. They're going to be sending me memes on Twitter all year. But that's, <laughs> that's not the point. I just want to say he's being overvalued. I think he should probably go two rounds later. But he's really good. So I don't want to call him a bust. I like to save that... Uh, that label for players with true bottoming out potential. I just don't see one of those here. I will yes. agree with everything he said. All right. That's uh, fair enough for me. We need to, uh, we need to move on to the rest of the ADP. Anyway, I'll just call out Javier Baez for the same reason, Scott. I don't really have a good bus at the position. And, you know, I, I think when you can get Carlos Correa 50 picks later, I just think Javier Baez is a little bit overvalued. Maybe you could say the same thing about Glaber Torres as well. I just, Glaber is younger and I still think, you know, maybe his upside is to do something we haven't seen Baez do before. So, um, I will say Javier Baez is my bust. Uh, Scott, I did want to ask you just about prospects. You mentioned Wander Franco. Any other prospects we should know at the shortstop position? It, it feels like there are some guys that are maybe a year away. Um, Jeter yeah. Downs is an interesting name. He came over in the Mookie Betts trade. He's now with the Boston Red Sox. But uh, there yeah. have been some rumblings that he'll get the call up this season. Yeah, I think he will. That, that's probably the one I'm most excited about. You know, if we're excluding Hassan Kim, who technically counts as a prospect, uh, then it's Jeter Downs who has gets on base a lot. Uh, the power seems legit. He's a 2020 guy in the minors, but he's not actually that fast. And, you know, steals totals don't always translate so well from the minors, but there's a chance he could be a base stealer as well. I would also mention Royce Lewis, former number one overall pick by the Twins. He looks like he's on the verge of getting a chance in the majors. It, it might be as kind of a super utility guy, um, but... It could be this year. So, you know, deeper leagues, you might think about stashing him. If you are wondering how much you pay for the shortstop in a salary cap draft, this is assuming a 12-team league with a $260 budget. Uh, these are Scott's values on the website, which you can find for Roto Leagues. Fernando Tatis, $40. Trey Turner, $37. Trevor Story, $37. Francisco Lindor, $31. Corey Seager, $29. Adalberto Mondesi, $27. Bo Bichette, $25. Drop a little bit down. Uh, Bogart's 26. And then we see a bit of a drop-off. Glaber Torres at 14. Baez at 14. Correa at 13. Dansby 
at $13. That is the top 13. And then we get into Didi Gregorius, who's $7. Uh, Marcus Semien, 6 bucks. And then we do have some uh, some buck bashes with Ha-Seong Kim. And, well, Paul DeYoung is, is $2. So I won't call him a buck bash. Let's look at some ADP. We left off on Carlos Correa. We'll just you know wrap up with a few names here. Uh, we spoke about Tommy Edmond on our and Marcus Semien on our second base position preview, so you can go back and listen to that towards the end. Uh, but let's talk about Didi Gregorius, who was... Neither one of them is currently second base eligible, by the way, Simeon and Edmund, but they will be. That's yes. what they're projected to play. Yep, very early in the season, that should be for both Tommy Edmund and Marcus Semien. Scott, Didi Gregorius, he is going about two rounds later than the aforementioned Marcus Semien, and mm-hmm. uh, he was a top 10 shortstop in Roto. And in fantasy points per game, he's going back to Philadelphia, where it seems like the park is built for his his lackluster swing, but he just continues to get it done. Yeah, it definitely helps that he's going back to Philadelphia because his his power is just like wall scraping power, and he's been able to maximize it first by playing for the Yankees, and then at this other small small park in Philadelphia, he does make contact at a high rate, but not that really translates to a high batting average because he's putting the ball in the air so much. Um, he's, you could do worse than Didi Gregorius is your starting shortstop. I, I said the goal at shortstop at the top of the show was to avoid having Didi Gregorius as your starter. I think there's, you know, there's clearly a step down there in terms of upside, um, but he should be, he should be a fine contributor in fantasy again. It's just hard when you're bringing D.D. Gregorius to the table and like everyone else you're facing has like a, some super, super stud at the position. He is just so consistent, D.D. Gregorius. Like clockwork, 41% or better fly ball rate, 40% or better pull rate. That's exactly what he does. He pulls fly balls and it works out well. Hitting in formerly Yankee Stadium, now in Citizens Bank with the Philadelphia Phillies. 20 picks later than D.D. Gregorius, we see Andres Jimenez, who is now with the Cleveland Indians going at pick 187. We spoke about him on the second base preview as well. Chris, some concerns over playing time. And, um, I mean, there's a chance Jimenez could start in the minors. He's going at pick 187, whereas Ahmed Rosario is going in the 260, 270 range. So almost 100 picks later than Jimenez. Yeah, and I think they're the Spider-Man meme. Uh, you know, the two <laughs> Spider-Mans pointing at each other. I think they're very likely to be very similar players uh, if they get the same number of plate appearances. Maybe Jimenez has a little more stolen base potential. Rosario has been a disappointment there. Um, but given the price difference between the two of them, Jimenez is probably someone that I won't be drafting very much, especially given the, I think at this point, sort of the assumption that he's not going to uh, be on the major league club when Cam breaks. And it's also worth noting Jimenez was a, was an enthusiastic base stealer in the minors, but he wasn't a particularly good one. Uh, he was <laughs> right around 68% success rate. Um, oh. You know, 93 stolen bases in 393 games. That's pretty good. Uh, but that doesn't, the, the success rate doesn't portend well for uh, his chances of continuing to be, a high base stealing guy in the majors. Going just outside the top 200, we see Chris Taylor going at pick 216, who I don't 
I don't think he has shortstop eligibility, but we missed him on second base, yes. so let's talk he about does. him anyway. He does. He does have sh- uh, shortstop. All right. Um, I mean, he was really good last year when he played. Uh, Chris Taylor, he had an 842 OPS in 56 games with the Dodgers. Jorge Polanco, you mentioned Scott going at pick 220. And Paul DeYoung at pick 229, who maybe we're forgetting about. I mean, the Cardinals lineup should be improved. Uh, Taylor, Polanco, DeYoung, what do you think, Scott? Yeah, Paul DeYoung had that amazing first two months in 2019, right? Yeah. And uh, that it, it allowed him to... I mean, he finished with the with 30 home runs that year, but it, batting average got dragged down to 233. So, like, I, I don't I don't think we're ever going to see that version of Paul DeYoung again. And yet, that seems to stand out in people's memories. Uh, I think he's a pretty good cheap source of power at the position, and basically nothing more. So, not terribly excited there. I actually do like Chris Taylor more, especially since it seems like. You know, as was the case toward the end of last season, he should be in line to play virtually every day for the Dodgers. Um, and, you know, pretty good at getting on base, decent power. He's a whole is greater than the sum of the parts guy. I would say Chris Taylor is, again, not somebody you want as your first choice at shortstop, but maybe to fiddle it, fill, fill a middle infield spot. Chris Taylor isn't so bad. Um, but you could see now, like, Shortstop, it, it's kind of gotten bad in a hurry, here, Fast. right? This yeah. is this range of the position. We don't have nearly as much to talk about as we did at first base or even like second base. Yeah, I think second base has more guys in this range who I think are interesting. Yeah, it, it really is com- the complete opposite of second base because shortstop has all this elite top level talent and, and second base really doesn't. What it was one player going, well, three players going in the first four rounds for second baseman. Uh, but there were mm-hmm. some interesting players later on in the draft. Can't really say the same about shortstop, but let's just. Uh, Hit on some of these names. Outside the top 300, we have Willie Adamas with the Tampa Bay Rays. Elvis Andrus, who is now with the Oakland A's, will be their starting shortstop. Kike Hernandez, this was the one that does not have shortstop eligibility, but we missed him on the second base preview. He's now with the Boston Red Sox, so I'll lump him in to this mix. Um, and Anderson Simmons, who will start with the Minnesota Twins. So Adamas, Andrus, Kike Hernandez, and Anderson Simmons, Scott. Any interest in these names? Not... Really? I mean, Adamas, <laughs> I feel like, is just standing in the way of of, uh, of Franco at this point, Wander Franco. And he's a good defender, Adamas is. So maybe there's a chance Franco gets pushed somewhere else, at least to begin his career. Uh, but I don't think, I don't, I don't see Adamas becoming a real fantasy asset at any point. And, um, you know, I, I think I like Nick Ahmed. Like, if you're looking for a, a, Bottom of the barrel scraping shortstop. I think I like Nick Ahmed of the the Diamondbacks more than all these guys. He's another hole is greater than the sum of the parts guy. How about that? Uh, Nick Ahmed has an ADP of he's going very late. That would be three seventy nine, and mm-hmm. he was he was solid last year. Two sixty six, five home runs, twenty nine runs, twenty nine RBI, four steals in fifty seven games. I was just pulling up their depth chart to see what we are expecting now that Azdrubal Cabrera signed with the team. So Cabrera to second. Nick Ahmed will continue to start at shortstop. Um, Cattell Marte in center yeah. field. You know what this does do? And it's completely off topic, but why not? I mean, we're already at the 107 mark. Chris, your boy, Dalton Varsho. Yeah. He might get pushed to the minors now. Yeah, he's probably not going to start the season in the majors, which is uh, disappointing. Um, he's one of the few interesting catcher options, but yeah. 
Oh, well. I guess we'll have to amend the catcher preview. <laughs> uh, we could just throw everything we said about Kiner Falefa today on, onto our, uh, our catcher go. preview yeah. for those. You could kind of, yeah, that could be a similar, that could be a similar outcome. Uh, some of the leftovers we already mentioned, Ahmed, but uh, Miguel Rojas hit for a very high batting average last year. Luis Arias, Chris, are we still, are we still, you know, expecting anything from Arias? Expecting no, <laughs> but it does sound like he has a chance to to start for the Brewers at third base, right? So that's what I think is going to happen. We'll see. Still has good minor league numbers. A lot of contact, decent pop, but uh, he's just been completely overmatched in the majors so far. Scott, take us home. Anyone we missed? I just want to comment on Willie Castro since you were talking him up a minute ago. Um, Really weird profile. Strikes out. Like The play discipline's horrible. He doesn't hit the ball very hard at all, and yet he had that expected batting average of uh, 290 something right and obviously the actual batting average was even higher than that I don't I have trouble buying into Willie Castro um, but I do think there's a chance maybe he has a Gene Segura like profile that uh, like that's kind of the best case scenario I see for Willie Castro so I'm not getting super excited about him but he does have a job he has shown something before and I guess uh, you could call him a sleeper in the deeper sense. All right. Yeah. Scott likes one of my sleepers. Let's wrap there. Shortstop. Uh, very top heavy, but towards the end, not so exciting. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Thursday. Bye-bye. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.